Welcome to Maximum Mom with Elise Buey, where you'll hear from women who are navigating the same messy journey as you. Lawyering, entrepreneurship, and mothering, what a trifecta. We're here to share tips, resources, wins, losses, and encouragement for moms who are raising a family while building a law firm. So you feel less alone in your journey toward a fulfilling career and being the best mom you can be. Hi, this is Elise Bowie with the Maximum Mom Podcast. And I know we're here on a weird day. We're usually not here on Wednesdays, but I am here today to interview one of the people actually in my office. She is my integrator in the office. So she is like the number two human that I get to deal with all the time. And she has been with me the longest in my office. So I'm really excited to have Katie Silk. I mean, Catherine, some people call her, but I call her Katie. So welcome, Katie. Thanks for joining me today. Thank you. Thanks for having me. This is very exciting. I loved being able to hear everybody else's podcast. Now it's my turn. Yeah, it's a lot of fun. Well, it's so fun, I think. And I think especially in the context of this podcast, I mean, the whole point of this podcast is for moms, lawyers, and entrepreneurs. And it is such a trifecta when you think about that. I mean, people who are actually being a mom, running a law practice, and trying to practice law. I mean, that is a lot. It is a lot. And I know you, of all people, really understand that. So first, I'd like to start out, just tell us who makes you a mom? Like, what does your family look like at home? Yeah, I have two kiddos. I have a kindergartner and a second grader, both girls. They are wild and crazy, Eliza and Sophie. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my gosh, I love your daughters. I am, yeah, I'll never forget the trip we took with the whale watching and the whole thing and how they thought I was the social worker. (laughs) Yeah. So my daughters, um, after we went on a whale watching trip for, um, a retreat that we did for our office. And so, um, I think it was Eliza drew, drew a picture of us on the whale watching thing. And it was said, you know, mummy with her social worker, and she gave this to her teacher. Like I'm, you know, have this whole like CPS investigation <laughs> at the time I was doing, um, I was helping with some public defense stuff that we had. And, uh, yeah. I had to send the message to her teacher being like, I really don't want a social worker, I promise. <laughs> I thought that was hilarious. <laughs> the best. <laughs> well, I mean, tell everybody who is listening, tell us how long you've been at our firm and what that has looked like. Like, how has your position evolved? Yeah, I think I started in 2015, 2016. So it's been a while. And I started out doing contract work. I had an itty bitty, I mean, Sophie was one, so I didn't do full time and it's gone up from there. So I started and it was sort of, I mean, family law, we did family law work and grew. I mean, now I'm doing much more of the sort of behind the scenes business um, as the integrator with Elise. So that's very exciting, helping and kind of running the business and it's full time now. (laughs) So... (laughs) Yeah, for sure. But it's worked out really well for our family to have that kind of flexibility. I mean, when she was one, it was very different than now that she's in kindergarten. Um, And so having that flexibility has been huge for us and being able to kind of meet the needs that we had at different stages in our life. Yeah. Well, and I think one thing that has been a benefit for at least I know for me, when my kids were all at home, 
was the virtual part of our firm, being able to work from home. And for me, that meant all kinds of weird hours. Like I was super happy to wake up at four in the morning and work till seven. If that meant I could then be at football practice or a freshman football game at four in the afternoon, you know, and Absolutely. I mean, I was able to run a Girl Scout troop for my girls, which I never would have been able to do because I had that flexibility where if I needed to get back to a client, I could do it in the evening um, and I could prioritize doing things that were really important for my kiddos. So yeah, just allowing us, I mean, we lived, you know, the traffic in the area that we live is just crazy. And so it really would have added two, three hours onto our day to have to commute. Um, So it, Well, that's the thing. I just, I have to tell you, I struggle and I scratch my head when people now are thinking about the pandemic kind of, you know, going towards the end of it. They're like, okay, well, we're going to get everyone back in the office. And I'm like, do your people actually want to go back? And interestingly, I read something from a recruiter this morning who said like, people do not want to go back. They are really pushing against coming back. And she was saying though, you know, kind of like pull up your big girl pants and it's time to go back to work. And I actually pushed back a little and was like, you know, I I think employers need to rethink what work looks like and what quote unquote nine to five means and whether that's actually the schedule that your people really want to work on. I mean, because nine to five might not be the right schedule for everyone. Well, exactly. And I think as an employer, it's like, do you really want your people sitting there in a car for three hours? Or do you want them relaxing on a chair in the sunshine, like recouping and being twice as efficient for the next day? Exactly. Yeah, that's exactly the way I look at it. Well, and to me, it's just truly a waste of life. Like when you spend time commuting that you don't have to, I get that we all have to at times, you know, and that's fine. And you can find great things to do with your time. I mean, I love listening to podcasts when I'm commuting, but I mean, to do it every day when it's not necessary, you know, and I think this pandemic has really showed us what we can accomplish virtually. Absolutely. I mean, I, I, can't, I haven't read it in a while, but I definitely remember seeing a study that talked about happiness in life and that it was directly proportional to the length of time that your commute lasted. I mean, the longer people are sitting in their car getting mad or sitting on the bus or whatever it is, the more upset they are about life in general, because it takes you away from all that time with your kids, especially, you know, as a mom, as a parent, that time is gold. It is. Well, when I've, I've interviewed people through the years and they'll be like, oh yeah, my last job, you know, I rushed home so I could spend 30 minutes with my daughter before she went to bed. And I mean, I remember that life when I worked as an insurance defense litigator in New Orleans and my children were itty bitty. I actually went to the office at 4 a.m. So like my 4 a.m., it's kind of a a long-term thing. And I would go at 4 a.m. so that I could pick up Katie from her little preschool at 3 p.m. And every afternoon we did this little thing. We went and got ice cream and we did this little thing together every day. And it was a big deal. Like, I mean you know, that was like real quality time. Cause otherwise I would get home and it was practically time for her to go to bed. Well, and kids have so much homework. I mean, you can't possibly, if you have 30 minutes with your child, you will spend the entirety of that fighting with a kid about getting their homework done. <laughs> I've been really surprised during the pandemic that kids have homework after their zoom. Like that has been something that's been a little surprising to me just from an educational 
uh, standpoint, I'm like, we really want kids to sit on Zoom computers. Then we're going to have them sit down and do more rote work. That just feels really not great developmentally for many children. And I've really struggled. I mean, even with my own, you know, senior son, like sometimes he has homework and I'll just tell him, I'm like, if you have the option of going outside and kayaking and doing your calculus homework, I'd opt for kayaking and stick calculus at night when you can't kayak. And you know what I mean? Like try to negotiate that in a way, because I don't know, it just feels like kids really need to move around a lot more than they are allowed. I think they definitely do. And they don't have that social time built in. So especially with little itty bitty ones, we have to build those breaks in to their day or they, I mean, they, there's, it's not possible to sit in front of a zoom meeting for hours and hours and then turn around and do 12 worksheets or whatever it is. So. Exactly. Yeah. I've been really surprised by that. I actually read something recently talking about schools in the United States and how they really have got to rethink what we are teaching people and how we're teaching them. And I thought it was so true because they were talking about all the emphasis on getting good grades. And I mean, you know how that is like kids are supposed to kind of be in this little narrow window, these really normal kids that can walk that perfect line and they'll get great grades. Those kids are going to do fine. All these other kids, which is obviously most of them, you know, are outside that exact little rote normal. And we're just teaching them kind of the wrong thing rather than really encouraging them to be passionate about what they're learning. Yeah. There's this Einstein quote, which I I'm going to slaughter because I don't exactly remember the wording of it, but it was something like, if you measure like a fish by its ability or a bird by its ability to swim, it'll yeah. live whole life thinking it's a, you know, a, failure. <laughs> a failure. And that's completely true. I mean, I think that kids, there's a very linear approach to schooling that requires people to just fit in the box. And of course, as lawyers, we're like very type A and that probably worked for us if we you know, managed to get all the way through law school. But I think you also miss out on being a well-rounded human being, if school can't encompass some of those other aspects too. Absolutely. Yeah, I think so too. I really encourage, there was a lady that was in one of my little groups about college. It's, you know, all about with kids in college soon, I'm going to have to get out of that group, I guess, now that Ethan has already gotten in and we're kind of done. Well, she was saying something like, what should my child major in? And I was like, what is your child interested in and why are you engaged in that thought at all? And I, and she was like, well, I need to know what's going to make money for the child. And I said, what's going to make money for the child is whatever your child loves to do. And they're learning and they're passionate about it. And they just are in their flow while they're doing it. I said, and you'll have no idea what that is until the child figures that out. And I just thought that's kind of sad because I don't know, like I never even think about what my kids are majoring. And I, I mean, half the time I'm like, what are you majoring in? You know, they're a senior and I'm like, what, what is your major? Definitely. I mean, I think this mindset of like, okay, you have to do X because it's going to get you Y and always achieving the next thing. What's the next goal? What's the next? I mean, it's a very sort of American way of looking at the world, but it's also a way that makes people very unhappy. If you're only ever focused on achievement and the perfect result and having the job with the most money and having the prestige, it makes for very unhappy people. And I completely agree with you. Well, and it's interesting. I I think it's so interesting. You bring that up when we we're doing the fireproof program 
in our office. So we work with Fireproof. And, um, and so we do all those like quarterly meetings. We talk about rocks. And one of the things that I found so interesting is when you're thinking about your quarterly goals, I mean, it's really important to look back and see what you've accomplished in the past 90 days. And I know for me, that is something I have been miserable at doing. I'm just always looking ahead and I never stop and say, oh, well, you actually did accomplish something this last quarter. Like, you know, maybe it wasn't all the things I set out to do, but a lot of times it's a lot of stuff that gets done. And I thought, what a great thing to really stop and appreciate what has happened in the last quarter and really grade your last quarter and look at it. And for us, I know as a team, we try to look at things kind of holistically. I mean, I know the grade thing, it's a struggle, you know, and that was funny because you and I have such different grading scales. (laughs) (laughs) And so, um, and everyone will be having, you know, Katie is tougher than I am, (laughs) but um, it, it is really interesting to me to, to really kind of like just what you said, not just always be focused on what the next thing is and sometimes just stopping and appreciating what you've done, what you have, and also finding those gems in whatever you did accomplish. Because, I mean, sometimes your big failures, there's huge wins in your failures. Definitely. I mean, we're all human beings. We all have to learn from our mistakes. We all have to appreciate gratitude. I mean, we need to think about where we've come from in terms of where we're going. And if we're always just looking at, you know, you could do it. You could say, okay, the billable hour, that's the only thing we're going to care about is the money coming in the door. And then you've missed out on the ability to really connect with other human beings through teamwork or have each other's back. Or like when I got injured and everyone swooped in and completely had me and helped in my caseload. Those are the types of things that I think are so important to just being a happy human being. I mean, we want to be able to have the type of workplace where we're supported as humans and not just as a machine spitting out numbers because it doesn't even make for happy employees. I mean, you don't, who wants to work in an office if you feel like everyone's out to get you or they only care about you as a number? Nobody, nobody wants to work like that. Nobody. But when you feel like you're a part of a team and you know people have your back, I mean, you go to the ends of the earth to help your teammates. So I just... Yeah. Well, I really think like people talk about, you know, how AI is going to take over everything. And it's like, it's going to take over everything except the most important thing, which is team collaboration. And people who know how to collaborate, I think are going to be leaps and I mean, just bounds ahead of others because... I, one of the things that I have so seen as we've rolled out this fireproof, you know, EOS traction kind of system is, I mean, I was absolutely at the end of my little blonde brain, like in what I could develop and do. And I mean, you know, I've been working, I mean, some years, just crazy amounts of time. I mean, just, and, you know, but that's just what you do. Like you're building a business, you have no idea, you're learning all the things. And I mean, it's really been fun. I mean, it's been a huge challenge to me intellectually to learn all the things. But then once we were able to, to find people on the leadership team to do things, I just watch the exponential growth of brain power, just having all these other people and their ideas and things that I 
never thought about. I mean, truly like someone will say, well, at least what about this? And I'm like, never gave that one iota of a second of thought. It did not come into my little brain. And so how amazing is that when you get to collaborate and have, I mean, actual brain power expansion. I mean, I get mind blown sitting in meetings with all of our leadership team. I mean, I come out of everyone like, wow, they are so smart. (laughs) I mean, it's huge. Yeah. I think we all put this pressure on ourselves, you know, as lawyers, as women of the sort of idea of being perfect of, of it's, it always has to be perfect. You always have to do all the things and everything is going to be amazing. And that is not possible. Not possible. I mean, you can't be the perfect mother, the perfect lawyer, the perfect business owner, and just everything is going to be amazing all the time. It's just, <laughs> there is an end of your rope. And I think that guilt or that feeling like you have to do everything really stops people from being able to kind of move forward because you feel, um, you know, if you're not doing it, maybe it's not being done right. Or maybe it's, uh, it's your baby. And so you want to be involved or maybe it's just, a. You feel like you have to. You don't realize that you can delegate some of that stuff. And I think learning to delegate as a mom, as a business owner, as as a lawyer, I mean, you have to do it in every single one of those roles. And it's kind of a learning process, probably for all of them. Um, I think delegation has been my biggest learning over the last six years. And, you know, and, you know, I mean, Pursuit Concierge and Sandra have been just, I mean, game changing for me in teaching me how to delegate. And I mean, I just sent something to Sandra like 15 minutes ago. I was like, can you do this? And she laughed and she's like, Elise, what have I ever said no to? And I mean, that's the truth. Like, Everything I ask her to do, she has come up with, even if it's not her, she has come up with a solution for me in a, in a who. And I think um, I probably, if I haven't sent it all to you all now, I probably will. There's a book called Who Not How, and it's all about delegation. And it was really, it really flipped my way of thinking about it. Because you know, when you think of a list of problems you have or a list of things, you're like, well, how am I going to get that done? The mm-hmm. question needs to be, who am I going to get to get this done? Never how and always who. And so that really changes the game. And especially I think in parenting, when you think about, you know, baking birthday cakes or getting all that stuff for class things. I mean, that was the kind of thing that used to just make me, I mean, crazy. I'd be working all of a sudden, Ethan would come in and be like, I need a poster board for a project due at eight o'clock in the morning. And I'd be like, really? This is when you learned of this, you know? (laughs) Well, I think prioritizing what actually matters to you. I mean, I remember really early on when I started as a lawyer, we were having this conversation because I was like, time, parenting, lawyering. Um, And you're like, I think you had mentioned getting a house cleaner. And I, and it was just such a lot. It's like, you're right. I'm spending the entire day on Saturday cleaning my house. That's the one day I have with my children. What, What am I, what am I doing? Like, this is not... And those kind of things so that you can go do the Girl Scouts or you can go to whatever it is that's important to you and you don't have to do it. Maybe you love the birthday cake baking and that's super important to you. Great. But maybe you don't. And (laughs) 
Picking right. what matters. <laughs> oh my gosh. I did love baking. We used to make this special cake and it was a flower cake. So when you looked at it, once it was made, it looked like this beautiful, colorful flower, but it was all made on top with cupcakes. So the cake was made and then you put cupcakes all on top in the shape of the flower. But I mean, they would be decorated, you know, to the nth degree. So it was this beautiful thing. Katie and I had more fun making that cake. Like it was kind of her signature. She would be like, mom, we need to make our cake. <laughs> and those things are so important to you, you know, and you probably got to do it because oh, yeah. you move other things around. Absolutely. So. Oh yeah. Delegating is huge. Well, and one thing I want to talk about, and you mentioned briefly, you were injured last summer and many people probably in the maximum lawyer group know, because I immediately reached out and I was like, Whoa, who's got long-term health insurance. <laughs> this? I was like, these are things I've never had to deal with. What do you think, like, and I know for us, you and I have been through the whole thing with Clio and learning Clio. I mean, what would you say to people who are starting a law firm about how important it is to have systems and have some type of practice management? I mean, tell us a little bit about what happened when you did get injured. Yes. So I horseback ride. I have not ridden for a while and I was riding. It was the most ridiculous thing. I was riding dressage, which is like the babiest thing you can do. I wasn't jumping over any fences or like Olympic rivers or anything like that. I was like walking in an arena with soft dirt and the horse just freaked out and went crazy. And I came off and um, I landed and I broke, I landed in kind of boat pose. (laughs) So my legs were up uh, and I broke my hip and really badly. (laughs) And so uh, that's what happened. And I was like texting Elise in the ambulance. Like, I think I'll be fine. I'm just going to go get checked (laughs) (laughs) out for like months. It was a big recovery where I had to learn to walk again and, and all that stuff. But we had systems in place to deal with this. And I think the real takeaway is that Anything can happen to anyone. I mean, you could be walking out on the street tomorrow and be hit by a bus. And we all are so busy. And it's so easy to say, I'm too busy to put a system in place. And the reality is, save yourself the heartache (laughs) of trying to fix it. Because if you try to fix it later on, it will be a disaster. You're so much better off putting a system in place so that if there are staff changes or somebody does get hurt or if they just decide to leave because it's no longer a good fit for them or whatever it is that happens in business, that there's a process in place. And our process, I mean, as a lawyer, I had notes on all my cases. I had the next steps in all my cases. They were all outlined in Clio. Um, and I do them when I do my case status reviews with my paralegal. Um, and we just tag team it and get all that stuff updated. So it's pretty easy. But had that happened three years ago, Elise would probably still be crying, like in her house, hiding in closets. I would be hiding. (laughs) It would have just been awful. Well, Katie and I, just so you know, we went through losing an employee, another attorney at one time to an emergency medical situation, kind of same thing, but it was related to maternity. And all of a sudden it was like, okay, I've got 30 minutes and then I'm on bed rest. And I was like, whoa, okay. And I mean, it took us weeks to get our feet under us. And it was both Katie and I, we would talk about cases. We both would be like, whoa, okay, who's going to figure out what's going on in this case? And it was so different this time when you got injured. I mean, I was telling somebody recently, literally I went in, I spent 45 minutes looking at things, 
I mean, in every case I pulled up had all the things It had the notes, the tasks. I was just like, oh my gosh, I love Katie. Like, check this out. And then I was reassigning things, you know, as they needed to be, but that was it. And then the, the rest, just people picked up the work. They were just happy to help and on they went. And I was just like, okay, now this is completely different than what happened in 2018. And it just made, I mean, it was, it could have been just really bad if it had looked different. And we had a brand new attorney in our firm. She hadn't been with us for three weeks. And all of a sudden she was like, I can take Katie's cases. I'm fine. Like give them to me. I mean, she had all the information there, which was so helpful. So systems, I think Katie is so dead on, like do yourself that favor now and create a system. And our system is as simple and ridiculous as humanly possible because that's how I roll. And it is, you must have a one forward focused task on every case and it must be specific. Like it can't be check with my paralegal about what to do. Like it needs to be a real forward focused task. And then we need to have a note within the last two weeks. So indicating that there has been some touch within the last two weeks and just those two little things. I mean, it's as simple as can be, but that is going to buy somebody at least two weeks time to figure out. I mean, if you can just do that next forward focused task, you're good. I mean, you're good at least for a week, you know, that you can figure it out and it makes all the difference because it's all right there. Absolutely. I mean, and it helps not only the person who's trying to delegate the task out because they're just clear and there, it helps the person who's going out because I know that I had the information in and if somebody can pick up the emergency next steps and get the ball moving, then I don't have to worry what's being dropped, what's being forgotten. Um, and so there's a real peace of mind for kind of everybody to be able to. Yeah, well, that was huge. I know for you, cause you were slacking and I had to <laughs> cut you out of slack. Cause I was so worried about you resting, but being able to tell you like very emphatically, you don't need to worry. I mean, and I couldn't have told you that in 2018, I would have been like, yeah, Katie, you need to worry, like get on your pain pills and then try to have a conversation with me because it would have been a mess. Absolutely. Absolutely. This time there was not that worry at all. Yeah, that's a huge difference. The Guild is an insanely productive community of lawyer entrepreneurs with a growth mindset who share their collective genius and hold each other accountable to take their careers and businesses to the next level. But in 2021, we are upping the game. In addition to exclusive access to the group, FaceTime with the two of us, discounted pricing for live events, and front seat exposure to live recording and podcasts and video, we are mapping out for members the exact growth playbook with our new program, Maximum Lawyer in Minimum Time. As a Guild member, you'll build relationships and experience content specifically designed to complement your plan for growth. For a limited time only, the Maximum Lawyer in Minimum Time program will be offered for free to all new Guild members. Join us by going to maxlawguild.com. Well, recently we had a post in the Maximum Lawyer Group about the integrator role and people are like, you know, what are you doing and how is it working? So tell us a little bit about, I mean, what do you do? Like, what are you responsible for? What are you learning? You know, what do you already know? I mean, just tell us about it and, and tell us when you started so people get a handle on, you know, where you are in this process. Yeah. So we've been doing it for about a quarter. Um, and 
So I'm a baby at this. So I don't have a ton of, um, don't, don't come to me as the guru of all things integrator because I'm sorting it all out, but I'm learning a lot. So it's a, it's a real shift from the sort of day-to-day casework to the, the business of running a law firm. And so that involves, I'm, I'm responsible for the profit and loss, the finances. And in our office, we use teams to help with that as well. So we have outside help. We have Fireproof who helps and we have other things. And it's really based on measuring it so you can actually track it because you can't fix it if you don't know what's broken. <laughs> so that's kind of the number one. And that's really what we've been putting a lot of energy and focus into in the initial stage. And there's just such a growth when you're a small firm as a business owner, I think you can make these decisions on the fly. You can kind of roll with the punches. And when you get to a certain level, you have to have systems in place to make those decisions. And so we've been working a lot on developing those kind of things so that we can have some of those in place. And one of the things that's been really important to me is maintaining the culture, maintaining the feel of the firm. So I manage, so there's Elise and then there's me and I help Elise in making her vision happen. And I do it by working with all the other teams. So we have a marketing team, we have an intake team, we have a legal operations team, which is all the lawyers, and we have a legal admin team. Am I missing somebody? Oh, new business. We have a new business team. I cannot forget that. And, and marketing. And, and marketing. We've got, yes, we have so many teams. So <laughs> I I work with all that. And when I first started, I went to all the L10. So that's the fancy name because we want all of them to be a level 10 meeting meaning awesome and productive and that we all brought our ideas to the table. And I really like the structure because it's very much a, it's very team oriented. Everybody brings solutions. Everybody brings questions and it's kind of a team brain dump problem solving session, but it's very focused on what the issues are. So you're not just chatting about your neighbor's cat or whatever for an hour, really driven by making sure you get through the issues. So I think that's really helpful. I think it's been the team, uh, the meetings themselves, I think have been so helpful. And I think for me, one of the things that has been so cool is to get all the issues out there in the open. I mean, cause literally every day I'll be like, oh my gosh, there's these 10 things that I need to fix, or I need to talk to somebody about. And now I just go in 90 and I type in these little issues and poor Sarah, who's our facilitator, she'll think, okay, we're getting the issues down. And then she'll look at it and she's like, oh my gosh, how do we get 25 more issues? And I was like, that was a lease on the weekend. <laughs> um, but it's so nice to have a place and to know that there's a place for all of us to discuss it. Well, and the change that has come out of this has been enormous. I mean, there's things that we've been thinking about doing and wanting to do for, I don't know, years since we started that are legitimately happening now because there's a plan, there's a structure in place, there's everyone to talk about it. And so it's really creating some changes that I think are needed. And you just get so busy in that day to day that unless you have the time to kind of step back and work on the business, they just sort of sit. So... Absolutely. Oh, I just think it's been powerful. And I think it's so interesting too, to be able to watch the culture grow as we've grown and really, I mean, that's one thing I love. Like I get to be responsible for culture. That's, and so I love, like I get to work with Sandra Pursuit and I'll be like, okay, what are we going to do this month? Or, you know, what kind of activity do we want to do? Those kind of things. I mean, they seem silly, but I mean, they're important, you know, in helping and especially with us being virtual, I think all those things are really important. And having this whole team in place, 
I think we're developing so much even better collaboration where people are getting to know each other better in all the L10 meetings and watching those relationships grow. And for us, again, because it's virtual, a lot of times I'll see it like in Slack and I'm on so many Slack channels and obviously I don't participate, but I'm just see them. So there'll be, you know, one Slack channel will be sending recipes and one Slack channel, you know, they're sending their Star Wars fig- figurine pictures. And I mean, just all kinds of different things. And I just love seeing that kind of collaboration. It's great. It's really great. I mean, also for me, it's really given me an appreciation of what you have been doing all this time. I mean, <laughs> the amount of work. I mean, because if you are just one person working in your own little world, you don't see all the HR stuff that goes into it and all the, you know, invoice and all the back end from client. I mean, there's just, there's so much that goes into it. It's so true. And then to have to handle every single one of those decisions in a vacuum, I mean, it, the amount of stress that is likely to create is very high. <laughs> so. well, and that's why now, like Katie and I've started doing these same page meetings where we get to meet every morning. And I mean, how fun is it now? Like when some problem comes up, I literally say to myself, no worries. I'll just chat with Katie about this in the morning. Like it's completely different. Whereas before I'd be up like stewing, I'd be awake at night going, Oh my gosh, what am I going to do? You know, and I'd be in Clio trying to figure out like what happened. And now it's just, it's completely different. And just having that other human to talk to about all those things. I mean, it has, I mean, reduced my stress 150%. Because there's somebody else who knows all the ins and outs too. And so, you know, cause it's like, I could talk to Doug about it, or, but I'd have to explain, you know, like three hours of things before, you know, he understood and it's completely different. And just having your perspective too, where you can say, well, at least that's not how I look at it. You know, I look at it totally different and I'm like, well, cool. Let's look at it that way. <laughs> I yeah. mean, One thing I think that is so important about this dynamic, the visionary integrator dynamic, is the ability for the integrator to be able to stand up to the visionary. And I think for you, in many ways, that's one of your strongest qualities. But I also know you're very kind and you probably try to not like say the first thing that comes to your mind, like, that's stupid. um, And so... I mean, I think that, but that is really important. And I know as you and I work with Kath Cap, who helps us with CFO stuff, I mean, Pam and Brooke, I think that's a really big thing as well. And Pam is very strong, you know, and able to just like tell Brooke, like go on a vacation and leave me alone. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Um, I think that it is important to have someone who's not just going to be a yes person because then you don't have a different opinion. You just have somebody who's echoing you and you're not going to actually have that development. And it doesn't necessarily mean someone who's going to take over and, you know, I think it has to be a teamwork. It has to be a collaboration and there has to be a level of trust where you can express both ways, which means from a visionary being willing to accept the feedback and being, because I couldn't express my opinion and be like, at least that's crazy if you weren't willing to hear that. And so um, it has to be a two-way street. Yeah. And I think that's so important. And I do think, and it's something we've just touched on as a a team. And I expect as we get further into this, we're going to touch on it more, 
you know, obviously we have those examples of traction, rocket fuel, the fireproof book. We have examples of what, you know, they say it should be. And I, I don't mean to diminish that it has worked beautifully for many of these people and many of the people they've coached. But I also think we do have to put our own individual stamp on things. And, you know, what might work in a a plaintiff's personal injury firm might look different in a, a virtual family firm totally across the country run by a bunch of women, you know, like it could be just a different feel. And that's one thing I think is important as we're evolving through this is figuring out how do we find our own rhythm and our own kind of our own personality and brand around the EOS system. Absolutely. I mean, I think about it going back to your conversation you had with Doug about how do you sort of manage a marriage? Because in a lot of ways, being in a business relationship with someone who you're talking to every day and right. you're, working, you know, you're working on a business together, it, there has a lot of similarities of having these, it's a relationship where you have to get stuff done similar to a marriage and just coming to it where you're saying, like, what's the list of things to do? What are our strengths? What are our weaknesses? How can we complement each other and, and help each other sort of maximize each of our own roles within right. Within I mean, one of the things you were saying is like, you actually like money. I mean, you kind of, you're good at math, you enjoy it. And so maybe coming at this from a view of like, well, you get nothing to do with math and you don't get to touch any of the numbers just doesn't make sense. So there's things that you have to kind of have give and take on and, um, and find a way that's going to work that suits the personalities of the people involved because you're not a robot. And if we just said, okay, I'm going to follow the rules prescribed by this corporate structure. It's kind of like we were saying with school, right? It's the exactly <laughs> the sort of narrow approach of, okay, here are the rules. We're human beings. And that you leave a lot on the table if you're not maximizing that creativity by working. That's, with that's what I think too. It's so funny because you and I both in, it's so interesting to me because in many ways we both are rule followers and in many ways, we are both extremely rebellious from rules. <laughs> it's this fascinating <laughs> dynamic. It's funny because I actually was talking to my parents about this yesterday. I was like, how did I, how am I like the most traditional person of all time? You know, my mom's from England. Like I love all the pomp and circumstance. I went to law school. Like you can't get more type A. Somebody who just follows all the rules, checks all the boxes. But I want the rules to exist for a reason. Like I love the rules, but they need to be good rules. And if they're not good rules, I talk about it. I mean, just like I talk about law needing to change because there's issues. Right. It's so true. <laughs> oh my gosh. I can't wait to watch you and Kyle as these girls grow up because they're going to be discussing many a rule and why you have such a rule. And I mean, the logic behind it. I said something last night. I mean, I cannot eat dinner with my son without learning something. It's just impossible. And last night I said something about sticking my head in the sand like an ostrich. And he goes, well, actually, that doesn't happen, mom. He goes, that's just kind of an old wives tale. And I was like, really? I said, I don't know if I believe that. And I didn't know. I was like, obviously, we have to Google this. And so, you know, we're out like Googling. And Doug was like, Elise, I hate to break it to you, but Ethan's right again. <laughs> And I was like, I was like, Ethan, and he was telling me about ostriches behavior and how really they're very aggressive and they can be so physical and they can kill large cats with one kick. I had no idea. And so, and then I really was like, I wonder where this saying came from. And it reminds me of that whole idea. Sometimes things just get perpetuated 
And they're simply not right. I mean, they're not even based in biology. They're based on nothing, you know, and they're not right at all. But I mean, I've thought my whole life that ostriches stick their head in the sand (laughs) just because of that saying. But it's that kind of creativity that I think you need to sort of say, well, why, you know, why, why, why do I have to have a brick and mortar office when my attorneys are paying three times as much for a house and commuting for three hours a day? I mean, why? (laughs) I'd rather pay them more and they can go live in the sticks and have a vegetable garden. Like Exactly. <laughs> exactly. I mean, I think, but I think questioning all the things, I mean, and that's probably one of the things that I feel like I keep doing constantly is questioning every single thing and how it's done. I'm like, well, who decided that? Like, why are we doing it like that? And how does, why does it have to be like that? And I know that when people come and work in our office, they're just like, okay, we do things really different, but I'm like, we do get to make those decisions. And I think that the law is so slow in coming up to speed in advancements, advancements in emotional intelligence, advancements in workplace psychology. I mean, all technological advancements, all kinds of things. And I just think the law, we need to be more innovative in how we're running our practices, because I think people are so dynamic. And I mean, they're ever evolving in the things that we are juggling. When I look around sometimes, I mean, I think of you parenting two children, being married to an attorney, dealing with your own parents in a pandemic, trying to homeschool your children. You couldn't walk. You, you know what I mean? <laughs> You're learning to walk. His shoulder dislocated. Yeah. And y'all are getting a house. We bought our house and we bought a house. And you got new pets. I mean, like. Because we didn't have enough. And a new cat, actually. (laughs) I mean, but that's what you're doing. Like, that's what a family does. Like, it's messy and it's busy and it's fun and it's scary and it's angering and it's sad. It's all the things. And you're trying to work full time. Like, imagine if I was like, yeah now get on the ferry and go to that downtown office because it matters to me that you're writing your brief from a downtown desk. Like, what does that mean? To me, that's just, I mean, write your brief from your tomato garden and your hydrangeas. Yeah. I mean, I, my, so my husband is very much the opposite. He has to get in a brick and mortar. I mean, he, it's been really hard for him to be, a work at home person. He finds himself less productive and he likes the face-to-face. And I do think there's collaboration. I do think there's things that work well in an office structure, but you have to find what feels right to you. You have to feel, you have to find the spot that's going to like, I said, maximize what works best. Um, and that could be being in a brick and mortar office. Maybe that's yep. what you need. And I practice collaborative law and I feel like I like to have those meetings in person. I feel like they're really productive to do those meetings in person and they're fun to do those meetings in person, but I choose to do them. Um, and that's really different than not having a choice. Right. Um, yeah. Well, and one thing I have found is at least through the pandemic, there's been an access to justice that we have at least seen where people are not spending money for one of us to go sit in court and wait for a hearing or God forbid, wait for the whole morning and then through lunch and then into the afternoon. Those kind of hearing days just pain me when we're sending out an invoice to somebody and it's like, well, your attorney just spent seven and a half hours to do a five minute hearing and 
it may or may not have actually moved your case forward. I mean, that's horrible. And so I love when we can go to temporary order mediation or go to a Zoom hearing in court rather than those long days. And I'm hopeful that our courts are going to kind of be progressive in this regard and keep that going, at least in some measure. I hope so, too, because I I think you're right that it really does maximize attorney time and costs for clients. That's huge because it's already such an expensive process for people. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, and I just, I hated when you drive somewhere and you're, you know, putting down your travel time. And I mean, like you talked about the traffic, it's kind of crazy. And it's like, I'm sorry, it took me two hours to drive to Everett to attend this hearing. And, you know, you have no control over that. And, um, but yeah, I think that the access to justice is real. I mean, tell us what are some of the really bad things like you find, you know, working as a lawyer, trying to juggle all the things. I mean, what are some of the things that like, if somebody could come back and tell you things when you were younger, I mean, is there anything you would do really different? Is there something maybe you would have picked up earlier and you would have started doing sooner? You know, like, what have you learned? What has been really tough? Yeah. Um, learning to delegate was really tough. I mean, we had, when I first started, I was the attorney, the paralegal, I did everything. And that was a great learning experience because I knew how to e-file. I knew how to do all the things, which I don't knock. I mean, I think it was really good experience. I know how long it takes my paralegals to draft discovery because I've done it. Right. Um, and so I think some of those things are important, but it was a learning process. I mean, even my poor paralegal now, I think I drove her crazy in the beginning because I was micromanaging all these things that I didn't need to do at all. I should have just given to her. But when you've never had a paralegal draft an entire motion for you, it feels really scary. And I think that kind of scales up in everything. I mean, it feels scary to delegate at kind of every level. And I think that's just something you have to embrace and kind of have open communication with, with your team too. I think that... The lessons that I learned, I mean, in terms of being a lawyer, I think you go through a lot of bright eyed, bushy tailed of sort of, I'm going to change the world ideas. There are these phases in the life of a lawyer. (laughs) And then you kind of get into it. You learn how the law actually works. You get better at the day to day and you can kind of focus more on that human side of it's not really even the law that's as complicated. It's the messy humans that make it so tricky. And I think there's a learning curve in that of being able to work with people in a way that really resonates with them. And I think I focus too much on the law initially. I mean, I think that there has to be a balance and you need to really come at it from how do you work with people? How do you develop those sorts of skills that definitely aren't taught in law school? You don't learn how to work with a paralegal, how to run a team, how to communicate with your paralegals and, and, and have it so that they can communicate with you. I think And having a level of practice that suits what's going to be right for you. I mean, we all have a certain level of professionalism that we want to see. And and so there are some of those skills that come into it. Yeah, I think you're so right, though. Learning to work with all the people, the clients, even opposing counsel, your your fellow team members in your office. And I mean, for me, that book and one of our core values about radical candor has been game changing. I mean, really understanding how important it is to truly care about each other. I mean, all the others, like opposing counsels, you know, everybody care about people, 
personally, but then be able to challenge directly and say what you mean and mean what you say. And I find that has been very powerful. And I do think like you were mentioning, allowing your paralegal to give you that feedback. And like you were saying, like me allowing you to give me feedback, that's very important that we can take the same thing. You know, we can accept radical candor from others because I think that's what helps our office be able to move forward and work through problems if we can get out of our hierarchical ideas and realize that we all are coming at this with strengths. Every single person on our team has some amazing strengths. And if we can let them work to their strengths, I mean, the sky's the limit in what we can accomplish, you know, and having those conversations and letting people tell us like, oh, this is really not a great way to do this. You know, we need to do it a different way. I'm like, oh, cool. That is awesome. Let's fix it. And I think there's this mentality, particularly in the law of you just have to know everything. You just have to be perfect. You just have to have all the answers, never make a mistake um, and also be brave about it all the time. Um, And that is so counterproductive to running a good business, to being a good lawyer, to functioning as a human being. And And I think that was a real learning curve. I think that was maybe the biggest learning curve of just saying, I don't know, what do you think? Just learning to say that or, hey, this is my approach. How how would you do it differently? Oh, definitely. I remember being trained. Like I couldn't come to someone with a question unless I had three alternative approaches. Like, okay, I've researched it. Here's my thoughts. Here's my outline. And I still, you know, you get trained in a certain way and you still sort of process things like that. But if you didn't, talk to other business owners, for example, well, how do you do it? What, do you, what works for you? What are different ways? To yeah. You're not coming to someone like, well, I have three approaches to running a business. And <laughs> like, sometimes you just have to be willing to put yourself out there and brainstorm and be creative about it and be open to feedback about it. You know, I want my team to ask me questions. I, how ridiculous would it be to have an office where someone has a question about the law and they can't, reach out to people to get that understanding. I mean, are we really going to bill our clients for three hours of legal research when the person, a phone call away can answer it in 30 seconds? Like that's craziness. So exactly. Well, and I think getting comfortable with, I don't know, I mean, is to me in life was really helpful learning. I mean, I call it, you know, my dumb blonde self. I mean, literally just being comfortable saying, I do not know this. Like, I don't know anything about it. This is not my strength. And realizing that I need to be completely open to all the learning, all the input, it really helps because, I I mean, I have many, many areas of opportunity. (laughs) You know, I feel like being open to say, I don't know, and and, but I'm going to figure it out. I mean, even with clients, and I feel like a lot of attorneys feel nervous to tell a client, I don't know. And I mean, I actually yesterday just talked to a client who was kind of angry about something and I was on the phone with them and it was at the time that the verdict was coming out. So he and I were having conversations about that. And and I said something, I was like, you know, I don't know the answer to that. I said, I literally got you on my schedule because I saw you were having this problem. I wanted to make sure I was on it and I could get you in. This was the only window I had. I was like, I will follow up but I truly don't know. And he laughed and he was like, most lawyers don't ever say, I don't know. He goes, do you have to choke that down? (laughs) (laughs) Oh, that's funny. Yeah. I mean, there is a real fear and people pay for your advice. Of course you want to be right. But the reality is nobody has a crystal ball. Nobody has 
the ability to gauge everything. You can kind of tell people the pros and cons and here's some different ways and what are our thoughts about it and what, what, you know, how things happened in the past, but there isn't always going to be a map out in front of you. And sometimes you just have to make your best, your best decision with the information that you have at the time and, and try things. I mean, especially in running a business, sometimes you just have to say, I don't know what's best. Let's give option A a go. And if it doesn't work, we'll tweak it. Right. I mean, because you can't know if you try it. And, but the fear of like hyper analyzing and, oh, well, you could. And what about blah? You need, there needs to be a balance of an educated decision that you're not just jumping into and a decision that's so educated that you're never moving forward. Right. That, I mean, you've lost the opportunity a lot of times once you get that educated. I mean, I sent something out to two of our leaders this morning. We had made a change in our marketing and I sent a note out. I was like, so what does the data tell you now about what we've done? And it's that kind of thing, like experimenting, trying to get the data, figure out what it looks like and then tweak again. I think that's my favorite part of owning a business is the experimenting, being able to try things. And, you know, because everybody's different and every business is really related to the personality of the people that are running it and are a part of it. And so I feel like I could read 600 books, but it's still not going to be exactly our thing unless I wrote a book and then I would read it, but then it would change in a month because I'd have some random harebrained idea. I, it's the exact same way with parenting. Didn't you find, I mean, I read all the parenting books and then three years later, I'm like, well, every single thing that I read completely changed, you know? <laughs> Oh, you're supposed to feed kids. Like, I mean, when my, when my dad was growing up, it was like, your children must drink orange juice. Infants must drink orange juice. And it's like, now, if you mentioned that, you'd be like, (laughs) from life. And right. And it's the same thing. It's like all these things develop. And at a certain point, you just have to trust your gut and take the leap. Absolutely. (laughs) Well, it's so funny. That food pyramid. The food pyramid that I grew up on, literally, I was supposed to have nine servings of carbohydrates. I'm a diabetic. Like, clearly, I should not have nine servings of carbohydrates. <laughs> like, And it's, I think it is such a joke. I mean, all the times my mom was like, eat your toast and drink your milk. And now it's like, if I eat my toast and drink my milk, I have to go like give myself medicine. And yeah. it's just... And all the rules, I mean... I swear the rules changed every five minutes. Like, <laughs> oh, you, you must, you must breastfeed. No, you must pump. No, you must like have the formula. No, you must. And there's oh, a the sleep schedule. The sleep oh, yeah. thing was such a thing. Like, you know, whether you trained your child, you let him scream, whether you did all these things. And I mean, of course I was that huge softy mom that cannot, cannot hear any crying. I was just like, don't cry. We're going to solve it. And if they needed to sleep with me, I was like, sleep with me. Because the whole point here is rest. I was like, by the time you go to college, I promise you won't want to sleep with me. Like that is going to work itself out. (laughs) Exactly. And I think you kind of have to go through it to realize there is no, there is no guidebook. Even when all the people are telling you there's a guidebook, you're a crazy parent if you don't, you know stay at home during the kids nap or refuse to allow the kids to nap at home because they need to be on your schedule. Like one of the other that must happen uh, or your child will be forever scarred. I mean, I think you just have to, you have to go with it. You have to try. <laughs> Absolutely. Okay, cool. Well, I really appreciate you joining me today on this. It was fun to get to talk to you just about fun things. Yes. Thank um, you. Thanks for having okay. me. 
Absolutely. Will you enjoy the rest of your afternoon? You too. Okay. Bye. Thanks for listening to the Maximum Mom Podcast, a production of Maximum Lawyer Media. Be sure to subscribe to the show so you never miss an episode. See you next time.